This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's a Wednesday, and we finally have a completed ticket. Somebody for Trump and Pence to go against, not just Joe Biden, the presumed nominee. We finally have a vice presidential pick, and to the surprise of nobody, especially who listened to the show, it's Kamala Harris. But I'll play some things along the way that will make you wonder— uh, how many choices Joe Biden actually had, had he not hemmed himself in with a, I'll pick a woman and I'll pick a woman of color, if Kamala Harris would have even have been a finalist, especially the way he's been called out. But the way she's being portrayed is totally, people are glorifying her, saying she's a moderate, joining a moderate in a time in which the country needs a moderate and a balance and a next generation. My goodness, do people remember what kind of candidate she was? Stephen A. Smith will be talking to us this hour, General Jack Keane, and I'll take your phone calls, one 866 so let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Hopefully we can watch colleges play football. We want to get football in colleges. These are young, strong people. Yeah, young, strong people say it ain't so. Major football conferences, two of them anyway, call it quits this fall. Who's left? What does it mean? Why I think those on the sideline made huge mistakes that'll cost not only them their college football uh, career in many cases, but also other sports, their future. Number two. Public policy is supposed to be taking into consideration not just stopping COVID-19 at all costs, but understanding the impact of people on what you do and what you say. Yeah, no kidding. Dr. Scott Atlas making sense again. Coronavirus numbers are dropping in 23 states. And overall, death rates are dropping for the first time in two months. Why we need power through, why we need to power these kids back to school and power through the positive tests and get on with our lives. We got to live with this, not hide from this. Plus, how Mitch McConnell plans on saving the rescue package. Number one. You know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public yeah. schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. And and now you guys seem to be pals. It was a debate. <laughs> right. Uh, Kamala Harris. No grudges. Remember, I read his notes. Joe Biden's number two. What Senator Kamala Harris brings to the ticket, her record, her disastrous run for the top spot, and how Tulsi Gabbard's epic Harris takedown could give Trump team the Trump team clues as to how to take her down again. What, it, what struck me about Kamala Harris was... I mean, she's extremely bright, great resume, looked as to be the female version of Barack Obama. But the problem is when she began running for president, she gave a great speech in front of 20,000 people. And even President Trump said, wow, that was, that was pretty good. And then she had to get interviews and did some town halls. And she didn't pre-think any of the major issues of the day, from what's going on at the border to her prosecutorial record, where she was uh, giving people maximum sentences for marijuana use, arresting parents of kids whose, uh, whose kids were not going to school. He went and arrested the parents. So she had a tough record, yet she spoke like she was a liberal. For example, she said, no more private insurance, Medicare for all. That's it. Bernie Sanders loved that, but not the insurers. She quickly had to walk that back. And then by the time the primary starts, she says, I'm just going to call it quits. 
No one seems to remember that. Here's uh, one of the story, one of the lines from the big uh, uh, congratulations article from the first page of the New York Times. Progressive Democrats are now going to be led by two moderate Democrats. Really? Joe Biden has signed off on Bernie Sanders' agenda, and Kamala Harris is not a moderate in any way, shape, or form. So here's when we first met her outside California. Uh, Kamala Harris is going for the debate. And I have no problem with this, by the way. If you're there to win, go win. That's why I don't have any problem with Trump going after Rubio and Ted Cruz, Governor Christie to a degree, because he said, okay, I got to win. And that's what it takes. It's not personal. So I have no problem with this, but it really, really hamstrung Biden for the next few months. Cut for it. To hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. You know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools, and she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racists. I agree that everybody wants they in fact, they should. Anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. Do you see what's happening? He was so rattled to the core, he fell downstairs. And people thought he was done. I remember watching Van Jones saying, you know, he better get it together. And it was because of Harris. But Harris took him down. She got almost no momentum because she started doing interviews and wasn't clear on any of the topics. And then Tulsi Gabbard, who is the outcast in the Democratic side, believe me, she's not a even a moderate. I like her a lot. I had a chance to sit next to her in the on Washington Correspondence Center before anyone even knew who she was. But listen to Tulsi Gabbard. Go at Kamala Harris and tell me Mike Pence shouldn't be studying this. Cut 11. She put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And she had no answers, except for her only answers would have been, I pre-thought it, and this is what I think now. That was then. I was living in the letter of the law, and that's what I was there to do. Now, that would have played out great in this climate, as we see Chicago, Portland, Seattle, New York burn, Albuquerque as well burning, St. Louis as well burning. Then you might say, well, I'm glad he picked a tough prosecutor. But don't expect to win over the Gen X crowd, the Black Lives Matter crowd, with her tough track record. Now she's for Medicare for All. Now she's she's against uh, jailing anyone for minor offenses. Says in 100 days she's going to pass, if they don't pass reasonable gun laws in Congress, she will take executive action to do just that. She's for open borders. She's not going to build one more section of the wall. And she's going to give health care to illegal immigrants. Why wouldn't she? She is in California and from California. And remember what she thinks of law enforcement. It was on this or she chose to think of law enforcement because it was on display when you had um, Ron Vitiello, who was the acting uh, Border Patrol czar. And he was down there answering questions about the president's illegal immigrant policy as caravan after caravan was storming our southern border. Cut 12. The Klan was a, what we would call today a domestic terrorist group. Why? why? Why would we call them domestic terrorist group? 
because they tried to use fear and force to change political environment. And what was the motivation for the use of fear and force? It was based on race and ethnicity. Right. Are you aware of the perception of um, many about how the, the, the power and the discretion at ICE is being used to enforce the laws? And do you see any parallels? I do not see any parallels between I'm talking about officers and agents. I'm talking about perception. I, I do not see a parallel between what is constitutionally mandated as it, as it relates to enforcing the law. Are you aware that there's a rights. perception? I see no Are you aware that there's a that perception? That puts ICE in the same category as the KKK. Is that what you're asking me? Is that unbelievable, unacceptable, and ridiculous? A group that dressed in sheets outside the law that General Grant sent troops in to suppress who have been, although they have a right to organize, are on the outside of every law-abiding citizen's coherent thinking. She's doing that comparison. Either she's running for office or she doesn't understand that law enforcement and a former attorney general are working hand in hand. ICE rounding up illegal immigrants most of which have broken the law, not just by coming in, but by perpetrating, uh, uh, by perpetrating a crime within our borders, and you compare the two. That's what everybody says is a moderate. Well, she's smart. She's attractive. She's part, uh, her heritage includes uh, a Jamaican dad, an Indian mom, uh, India as in India mom, and she's married to a white man. It's a... Uh, potpourri of acceptance through a cross-section of society. It checks a lot of boxes. But upon further review, things might have gotten just a little bit more difficult for one vice president, Joe Biden, as he will have Kamala Harris out front representing him, along with Jill, while he stays in the basement. I'm not kidding. When we come back, the other story I want to talk about. The Big Ten, Pac-12, have said it's too dangerous to play football a sport in which 35 people lost their lives last year, playing the sport by the rules, and is too dangerous to play football. I know there's concern, but my goodness, I just don't know why you don't do what the SEC did and make it happen. I'll let you hear all sides with one of the most respected person in all of sports. Stephen A. Smith, co-host of ESPN's First Take, will be with us, then General Jack Keane. Big hour, great hour, back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The NCAA is talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're really showing the hypocrisy. Mm. Uh, you're talking about an organization that does not give every player uh, health insurance. Basic health insurance does not provide it uh, to every player. Uh, and so now all of a sudden they want to become virtuous and they're looking out for the best interest. Uh, that is Jack Brewer, former NFL player, now commentator, uh, just really fed up with the decision by many of these Division One schools, Division Two, and Division Three, not to play football in the fall, especially these Power Five conferences, many of which these guys, they're really the cherry-picked and they always go uh, to the pros. What have you not, Trevor Lawrence, and you've already been a number one selection overall if you choose to go out? Uh, joining us now is Stephen A. Smith. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, probably one of the most respected uh, commentators that I can remember in quite some time on just about all sports, co-host of ESPN's First Take, but heard everywhere. Stephen, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, I should say. Long time, so no speak, brother. How you doing, man? How's everything going? I'm enjoying watching you, and I always go to you to find out, get the pulse of the people, uh, because you sure. don't need to uh, read Street and Smith to find out what you think or listen to anybody else. <laughs> Are you right. upset? The two of the Power Five uh, uh, conference, uh, uh, conferences have called it quits for the fall. I'm not upset with the decision. I'm disgusted that they had to make this decision because clearly they've been asleep at the wheel. Uh, this pandemic hit us in January. It really percolated in February. Ultimately, the NBA season was canceled on March in March on March 11th, I believe. Uh, March Madness, the NHL soon followed. Major League Baseball postponed the opening of its season. This mountain of evidence about how sensitive uh, and, and 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 potentially fatalistic these times are was right there for them. And it appears as if college football was asleep at the wheel. And it really comes down to an absence of leadership, Brian, from this standpoint. The NCAA essentially has no dominion whatsoever over the Big Five conferences, the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Big 12. Those are revenue-generating leagues without question. They're on an island of themselves. They get to operate separate and apart from what most Division One A schools um, have to operate under. And so as a result of that, those even those commissioners couldn't come 
to to couldn't find any kind of synergy, couldn't come to any kind of collective solution or anything like that. And I just find that hard. Think about it right now. You just asked me about the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Well, guess what? The SEC and the ACC plans on moving forward. Okay. And so when you look at it from that yeah. perspective, clearly people are not on the same page. And that's really what's disheartening. The Steven. fact that they're not on the same page right. and you had all of the time to plan. We listen, we we've gone to school on the pandemic for the last eight months as a people. We sure. you know, I know this people's differ, yeah. but we know what it's going against. Don't they sure. tell you in sure. sports, don't complain about the crowd, don't complain about the fields, don't complain about the refs, find a way. They're doing it in the NFL, they're doing it in Major League Baseball, they're doing it in the MLS, all for different mm-hmm. reasons. They're doing the NHL. Mm-hmm. What the heck? You can't get these kids who are the least susceptible into an environment where they can play football? I want you to listen to well, Coach O of uh, Coach O of sure. LSU. Cut 39. I do believe that we have the best protocol for our players. Our players feel safe on campus. We only have a few players that are sick right now. They get the best care. Our players want to play. I do believe the SEC wants to play. I have to give it to our commissioner for waiting to get the most information and to make the correct decision for our football team. And I do believe he will make that. So, and Trevor Lawrence said it. Let us play. We know the risk. It's more risky going home than staying than playing than staying together in the locker room. Your thoughts? Well, well, well. First of all, I get where you're coming from, Brian. What I would ask you to understand is this: it's not professional sports. I have that exact attitude when it comes to professional sports because they have representation. You collectively bargain. You come to an accord. You move full steam ahead. The problem is on collegiate sports, the student athlete has no representation. And you have to remember, they've been in pursuit of that. And so the NCAA has doggedly gone about the business of holding on to quote-unquote amateur status. Here's the problem with that. If you allow the student athletes back, then, of course, you're going to allow the students back. If the students are there along with the student athlete, then you are liable. There's no medical waiver to, to, to sign that absolves the universities and the institutions of their commitment. But then if you allow the players to be quarantined, and let's say, for example, you don't open the institutions to regular students, then you enhance the player's quest for employee status, which means they should have representations, which means they should be compensated for their efforts and things of that nature, which means that billion-dollar pie, that multi-billion-dollar pie that you have every single year, they deserve a bigger chunk of it, which is exactly what they'll go for. So the institutions do not want these players ultimately to adopt employee status wow. and shred amateur status, and that has everything to do with the position that they're taking to protect themselves in their interest because it's not just about now. It's about long-term maintaining amateur status for the student athlete. Uh, I, I was not thinking that, thinking that deep. That is so diabolical and, and, and yes. underhanded. But think about the other sports, Stephen, that maybe you don't cover, the track and field, the soccer, the field hockey, mm-hmm. uh, those Division two sports, the 1AA that don't get the big crowds, right. but they got the great people. They are going to be suffering because the revenue is not going to be there. Shouldn't Absolutely. that play a role? Well, no, it's not going to play a role. It's about football and basketball because those are the revenue-generating sports that does so much for the, for, the, for the institutions of higher learning. The money that they bring in enables the university to do a lot of things. Like, for example, I just went down and I spoke to the University of Alabama. Nick Saban had me speak to them, not just during the pandemic, but before all of this happened last summer. I went down to Clemson, spoke to Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. When I tell you 
what their institutions look like. It is five star. It is posh, um, upscale, personified. It's just on a different level, my man. And there's nothing that 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 facilitates that happening other than money. They there are the haves and the have-nots. And those who have want to hold on for, to it for dear life. And the NCAA, remember, March Madness is where they really make their money. It's not necessarily during the college basketball gotcha. season, per se, Brian. It's during March Madness. March Madness alone, that one month of activity, right. rakes in over a billion dollars. All right, Stephen A., you, you know about timing and hard breaks. We're on it. With 20 seconds. Are we going to get a college basketball season, smaller rosters, contained environment? And will we have some semblance of a football season? I suspect we will have a college basketball season, although I don't think it will start on time. I think ultimately it will start around the new year. College football is in a world of trouble. Gotcha. I don't see college football happening before the new year unless the SEC says bump all that. We're going to go full steam ahead. Stephen A. Smith. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I have no, take no um, uh, criticism for saying this, but the Chinese, they, what, what what they said is, China would prefer Joe Biden, whether they do. That's their conclusion, that they would prefer Joe Biden. Is that true? I don't usually get him involved in politics, but he does have a perspective of China, and China is very involved in American politics, trying to forecast what we're going to do. General Jack Keane joins us now, retired four-star general, the chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, and Fox News' senior strategic analyst. General, welcome back. Oh, yeah, delighted to be here, Brian, always. Hey, General, do you have any in- additional sense uh, or intelligence on China and their and what they prefer in this election? No, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I just think it's it's pretty typical that our adversaries are only one for a number of years. Three of them have tried to meddle in our election. Russia, the most prolific. China, maybe the most capable and uh, Iran, uh, a distant third, and they, and they clearly are always going to use some kind of disinformation campaign to penalize a, a candidate that they would rather not see. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's pretty typical of, uh, of what's going on. It, 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 it really doesn't make much of a difference, uh, as, as we know. Uh, and the good news about our government uh, is there, this administration's antenna really went up as a result of 2016 and all the problems uh, that Russia was able to cause as a result of it. Uh, my God, we're still going through congressional investigations uh, to this day, uh, three-plus years later, uh, as a result of it. So, uh, But the government's antenna is up, and as President Trump told uh, Mark Thiessen, a, a Fox News contributor and a Washington Post journalist a few weeks ago, in an interview that uh, Mr. Thiessen had with the president, uh, is that um, the United States had successfully conducted a cyber offensive campaign against the Russians' penetration of the election process in 2018 and shut it down. So uh, Russia obviously knows there's a price to pay for it, uh, and if they they do it again, they'll they'll likely pay a price, uh, as, as will the other countries. So, yes. I think it's all in by the United States government in protecting our election process. 
just amazing how they got into the nuances of the friction in our country and were trying to foment the racial unrest and perhaps through social media uh, push forward some of the anger in Chicago and some of these urban centers we've all been covering so well. There's, uh, that surprised me. Does it you? No. I mean, Russia conducts routinely massive disinformation campaigns, and so does China, uh, Iranians to a lesser degree. Uh, and this is these are thousands of people that are involved 24/7 in, in this activity. Uh, there's other uh, groups that are trying to steal technology, trying to steal secrets. But these groups, they they recognize that this is an extension of their foreign policy and national security in the interest of their country, and the threat to their their countries they see as democracies because they are authoritarian, repressive societies. And, and as such, they are attempting to undermine Western democracies, and particularly the United States, to weaken that system, to weaken that process. So emphasizing racial unrest or creating mm-hmm. stories where there are none, and the, <clears throat> the issue of racial tension, certainly, in our country, and promoting the fact that, that the United States is a violent country. Look at the protests in the streets. They magnify all of that uh, to undermine the people's confidence in America and undermine other countries' confidence in America. This is full-time work uh, for these, uh, particularly for Russia and China. Absolutely. So the, I'm, I'm struck by the significance of Alex Azar, the Health and Human Services Secretary, going over to, to meet uh, with experts in Taiwan, uh, ostensibly about what led to the Wuhan virus, how they were able to pick it up, what they saw, and how we can learn from the incredible way they handled uh, that virus and suppressed it, even though they were probably the most vulnerable. War China has turned around and warned us we're playing with fire by doing that. What should what's your takeaway from Alex Azar's visit, the highest visit from an from a cabinet member uh, since 1979 to Taiwan? Yeah, well, President Carter made the decision to break off diplomatic relations with Taiwan, and and enter into diplomatic relations with mainland China in 1979. So that's why we have a frame of reference for that year. Only the the last official to uh, to visit Taiwan of any consequence was the director of the Environmental Protection Agency under the Obama administration, who's a cabinet-level officer, but clearly not of the stature of the Health and Human Services Secretary. So this was a signal that the Trump administration was sending to Taiwan that we're there for them. We intend to back them. They've increased the military aid, as you know, rather dramatically. And they're also sending an unequivocal message uh, to mainland China, keep your hands off. Uh, and, and, and as our audience knows, there's been tension there uh, ever since the, the nationalists moved off the mainland in the late 40s and moved uh, uh, into Taiwan and established uh, later, a couple decades later, one of the most open, flourishing democracies in the world. And, and mainland China looks at that as a sort of uh, Taiwan sticks a finger in their eye every single day because they're just one shuttle flight away from mainland. And yet the, the, you couldn't have a, a more stark contrast in two governments, two private sectors, and how the people feel right. about their country. Mao Zedong, uh, his revolution takes over in 1949. Chiang Kai-shek goes to Taiwan. And uh, from that point on, uh, there was always a sense that they were going to be invaded. It hasn't happened. 
we always thought, what's going to happen if they invade Hong Kong? What will we do? The word is sanctions and condemnation. They still steamrolled it. Do you think Taiwan could could have to suffer the same fate? Well, certainly the leaders in Taiwan uh, believe that certainly is a is a possibility. Uh, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, who I happen to know, just said um, a few weeks ago in July that because of the uptick in military activity, it appears uh, that the CCP uh, may have been may have directed the People's Liberation Army to make preparations because they see a level of military activity that's different from the so-called routine uh, harassment and intimidation uh, <clears throat> that the CCP uh, does on a, on a uh, on a regular basis. Right. So yes, I think there is a level of, of concern there in Taiwan, and and the president there in Taiwan, President Tsai, had a very decisive victory. She's anti-Chinese Communist Party. Um, she's a, a fierce a supporter of an open democracy. Uh, she's tough as nails, and uh, she actually ran on the platform that you're talking about, in the sense that she said, "Look at Hong Kong. We could be next." And though she had some domestic political issues uh, for the first four years uh, as president, and she, many people expected her to lose because of those issues, she had a decisive victory largely because the people believed uh, they needed her leadership to help protect them from the Chinese Communist Party and a potential invasion. And so they put sanctions on Rubio Cruz, Tom Cotton, uh, Pat Toomey. Does this have any – is it just a symbolism? I mean, what, how does it affect any of their lives, the Chinese government, that is? No, none whatsoever. It is largely that. It's kind of a like a quid pro quo when uh, we close a consulate and they close a consulate. I, I think it's of note, though, Brian, that the Chinese very carefully selected people uh, who are certainly anti-Chinese Communist Party – and obviously uh, government officials, but not a single one of them is a member of the Trump administration. So they they went out of their way to avoid officials who are part of the Trump administration. And that's not the same that we did in selecting uh, Chinese officials who were involved in the right. anti-Wigger movement, the concentration camps, and also the repression that's taken place in Hong Kong. So I think it was largely, I think you're using the right word, it was largely a symbolic gesture on the part of the CCP. So I can't make heads or tails out of what's happening in Lebanon, except it's just a disaster. Uh, do you believe there's any indication that this, the, the, the exposing of this, uh, this nitrate, ammonium nitrate, was an attack, some type of detonation? Or you just think this was an accident waiting to happen? And when a coalition government collapses— how do you reassemble a coalition government? I mean, there's no bad guy. They just they all does they all left. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, I think if there was some evidence of an of an attack or something as large as that, because there's thousands of people that are still missing, so the casualties are going to likely move in that direction. Tragically, so. And as, as we've all seen from those very graphic, horrific pictures, a, a large part of of the the port area and uh, the downtown of Lebanon, uh, Beirut's uh, supporting that port area is absolutely destroyed, completely destroyed. Um, so 
I, I think if, if we had some intelligence to that effect, or the Brits had it, or the French had it, who, was, uh, who are closer to uh, Lebanon, that would be out in the public domain by now. I, I do think uh, accident waiting to happen is an accurate description of what that is. I've had uh, a couple of engineers advise me about letting the ammonium nitrate sit uh, for months and years in, in that kind of heat. Uh, it is like lighting a, a match to a, a Christmas tree that's been sitting for weeks. So, yeah, I think that's what we have. But so our audience understands, this is the second transfer of government that's taken place in less than a year. Saad Hariri was the prime minister, and he resigned with his entire government, his entire administration in December, largely because of protest movements and charges of corruption. What in Lebanon is is a failed political system driven by an economy that's in the tank, inflation out of hands, food shortages, power shortages on a on, on a regular basis. The currency is devalued some seventy percent, and there's huge amount of suffering that's taken place uh, inside of Lebanon. And many of the leaders that are still in and around the government uh, for the last couple of decades, the leaders who, who were all participating in the Civil War back back in the 1980s, and they really need uh, some genuine transformation. There was a thought that this government would be able to provide that, that just resigned, and, and <clears throat> but yet charges of corruption gotcha. were being uh, labeled against them, and, and they obviously could not withstand the pressure of of an explosion that killed so many of their citizens and, and having some degree of accountability for letting that ammonium nitrate sit there, you know, for years. But Iran wants influence, even though they were chanting Iran out, Hezbollah is that influence. They help finance, correct? And even, and they have shown they'll go to any length to hold on to uh, countries in which they control, like Syria. So Iran's watching this. And do you think they're going to play a role in maybe raising the profile of that terrorist group now considered a conventional political group in, in Lebanon? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Iran has tremendous influence in Lebanon. The, the strongest political group in Lebanon is Iran's Hezbollah proxy. They are the strongest political entity. The political groups are driven around uh, the three factions, Christian, Shia, and, and Sunni. Then obviously Iran is is back in the Hezbollah. Normally the Sunni is a is a prime minister, and the uh, the president, a nominal figurehead, uh, is a um, is a Christian. And then this the head of the legislature is a uh, is a Shiite. That's how they try to divide this up. But the Iranians absolutely uh, have incredible influence inside uh, Lebanon. They probably have more influence in that country than they have in any other country, uh, with the exception of, of Syria. And, and that's just the reality of it. And they have significant influence in Iraq, as we all know, and obviously have significant influence in, in, in Yemen. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they, they have their hands all over what's going on in Lebanon. And, it, and, and in the sense, just think of where, wherever Iran is involved in, the political system breaks down, yep. and the people suffer significantly from it. There is no value added <laughs> by having Iran uh, supporting your entity in whatever country. Point to the country, and all you see is political instability, economic uh, depravity for the people, and huge social uh, issues 
inside of the inside of these countries. Last topic. Uh, it looks like we've let out not we, but the 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 Afghan government has let out the last four hundred Taliban prisoners. Uh, probably belong, so I imagine, really belong in prison as part of this peace deal. Now they'll go directly with the Afghan government, will the Taliban. We will keep uh, about 5,000 troops there. Now, although we don't want this war to last forever, it's not really a war. We're, just, we're holding on and keeping that government going until it can really take root. Are you concerned we're going to leave? And are you convinced that China and Russia just move in to fill our void along with Iran? Yeah. Well, I have a lot of concerns about Afghanistan, Brian. Um, first of all, I, I did speak to uh, President Ghani on this issue. He actually talk, called me about it. Uh, he did not want to release those 400, but he was willing to bring in the lawyer, Jurga, which is think of it as a tribal representatives from the entire country coming together in kind of like a convention yep. uh, to vote on an issue. So they, they, they voted to release. I think largely uh, so when it would open up the peace process. Here's my problem here. Um, number one, the United States made a deal with the Taliban and rolled on every single issue that the Taliban had. First of all, if you're going to make a deal, where's the ceasefire? We should be under a ceasefire right now ever since the United States and the Taliban planned that deal. That should have been a condition of, of our participation in the deal. Meanwhile, they are killing hundreds and hundreds of our Afghan security forces every week, as said to me by the president of, of the country. And, and how frustrating uh, that is for him and the security forces. Two, we're going into uh, supposedly negotiations here between the Taliban and the Afghan government. Now, that is a good thing. No one would be opposed to anything like that. But let's see what comes of that. What the United States needs is an insurance policy. Keep some forces there to make certain what, that— <clears throat> gotcha. even if the Afghan government is able to make a deal with the Taliban, which I'm highly suspicious of, um, we're never going to make a deal with the al-Qaeda, and we're never going to make a deal with ISIS. And that's why we need that insurance yeah. policy to make certain that they don't rise again, and they fully yeah. intend to want to do that. General, There's no, no yeah. doubt about that. The al-Qaeda leadership is just across the border in, in Pakistan. They never left. Why Why didn't they leave? They could have gone to Africa. They could have They're gone to other out. places. General, They're waiting us out. General, that's always exactly educational, it. always great. Appreciate your insight and intelligence. General Jack Keane, thank you. Good talking to you, Brian. Same here. Back with your calls. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Mike's listening on KSEV in Houston. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. There's much on my mind, but I'll keep it short, sir, to be respectful of the time constraints attached to radio. Go ahead. I must say I do love your books, and I find them very useful. I'm actually a high school English teacher, and I often show them to my students as an example of awful high school-level writing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, do you have anything else on your mind? No. Uh, that last Okay, was that was great. Book. Hey, Nick, WABC, real quick, Nick. Kamala Harris, good yeah, move. Yeah, 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 Brian. I just wanted to say that Kamala Harris didn't support the uh, Tim Scott police police reform bill just because she wanted to get a tough uh, political issue, and she didn't vote yeah. for the one week extension and enhanced employment. She's got to get it together. Is she tough on crime? Is she a law enforcement expert, or is she going to be weak on crime? She's all over the place.
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Hi, from New York and heard around the world, I'm Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Joe Lieberman's getting queued up. He's going to be with us shortly. He knows what it's like uh, to be a first, first uh, American Jewish person to be elected, be asked to be the running mate of Al Gore, of course. And now there's more history being made as Kamala Harris of uh, of uh, Jamaican descent, of African, excuse me, of Indian descent, is asked to uh, join Joe Biden as a running mate. So that uh, historic... Uh, team is put together. Now we'll find out what's good and bad about that team and the vulnerabilities that could lie ahead. And we'll take your phone calls at one 408 7669 And we're coming to you from a city in New York that now has cut back on sanitation. And how do I know? Well, because I know they have $106 million and I walk around. The place is a mess. One of the things you just took for granted is that things were clean There is trash everywhere, and it's emblematic of problems in other cities like Chicago, Portland, and Seattle, which are being torn apart by anarchists uh, and protesters, perhaps mostly rioters. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Hopefully we can watch colleges play football. We want to get football in colleges. These are young, strong people. That is true. The president of the United States talking sports and can't believe it. Say it ain't so. Major football conferences call it quits, at least two, who's left and what it means. And why I think those on the sidelines made a huge mistake that all of college sports will pay for because they pay for so much in college sports. Number two. Public policy is supposed to be taking into consideration not just stopping COVID-19 at all costs, but understanding the impact of people on what you do and what you say. Uh, Dr. Scott Atlas, making sense, talking about not inciting fear when it comes to schools and sports. Coronavirus numbers are dropping in 23 states. Overall, death death rates for the country have dropped for the first time in a month. Why we need to power through and get back to school and get through with our lives, even with the virus, and positive tests should not stop kids from going to school. That kid, yes. People they came in contact with, yes. But then they come right back and go right back to class, and they do remote learning until then. Plus, how Mitch McConnell plans on saving the rescue package. Number one. You know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools, and she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. And and now you guys seem to be pals. It was a debate. (laughs) Hysterical. Uh, Chris Dodd, who did the screening, uh, did not want her to be the running mate because she never apologized for that. Joe Biden's number two, what Kamala Harris brings to the ticket, her record, her disastrous run for the top spot, and how Tulsi Gabbard's epic Harris takedown could give Trump and his team clues, especially this guy named Mike Pence, and how to take her down again. And joining us now is Joe Liebman, former senator uh, from Connecticut, a member of the U.S. Senate we know from 89 to 2013, and chairman of the United Against Nuclear Iran uh, Council. Joe, welcome back, Mr. Senator. Yes, sir, Brian. Good to be with you. Good morning. Uh, first off, do you remember the moment when you got the call from Al Gore, and do you remember how you felt? I do. Uh, you know, you go through the process. They put you on the list to be vetted. You're saying all along, 
oh, this is not going to be me, but what an honor to be considered. And then you find out you're in the final three, and then, of course, you want to win. You want to get it. And uh, it was kind of interesting um, that um, – uh, uh, just I'll take a minute quickly. The night, the night we heard that Al was going to make the decision, uh, my my communications director got a call from somebody, <clears throat> one of the networks, who said to him, "Sorry to be the one to tell you, but we found from inside the Gore campaign definitely that uh, Vice President Gore has chosen Senator John Edwards to be his running mate." So I said, "Okay, I'm glad I knew." And took out a bottle of wine. The family was all there. What a great country we got this far, you know. And then I go to sleep, and uh, the next morning, wake up, turn on the TV remote. I'm still in bed, and the reporter is saying, um, local reporter, now let me repeat that very exciting news. The Associated Press is reporting that Vice President Gore has chosen our own Senator Joe Lieberman to be his running mate. So that's how I learned. And uh, uh, all hell broke loose. You know, there were all sorts of satellite TV trucks around the house, and People calling, but it, it was it was quite thrilling. What does it mean as a Jewish American? Well, it meant a lot to me. I mean, I knew I knew to be honest that uh, it, you know I was standing on the shoulders of a lot of people who went before me who were Jewish Americans and, and others who made the country as open uh, and fair as it was. I give a lot of credit to Al Gore because he took the chance, if you will, but but because he had confidence in the American people, and uh, you know he was right. I mean. Uh, this ticket on which, for the first time, there was a Jewish American uh, got, uh, you know, more than a half a million more votes than the other ticket. I'm not saying that to relitigate the results, but just to say people were really fair, and I don't think anybody voted really for me or against me based on my religion. Certainly not. If there were people that did that, there weren't too many. So it's a, you know, as I said at the end, uh, it's a great country, really, and uh, I, I lived it, so I'm. I'm proud that it meant a lot to me, and I think it meant a lot not only to Jewish Americans, but to a lot of others who felt, oh, this is great, the country's open, and maybe... A... I can tell you, Brian, that in um, 1960, you know, I was a kid, and uh, John F. Kennedy gets nominated and elected, and uh, he's the first Roman Catholic, obviously, ever to be president, and I wasn't thinking about politics at that age, but I, I just had this feeling inside me that his election was going to open doors for me in my life, and it really did, and I hope that mine opened doors for others. You're much uh, sim- more similar as a Democrat to JFK than the, than the Democratic Party now, to the point where John McCain almost picked you, and I think regretted not picking yeah. you as his number two. That would have been history again. Did, what did he tell you about that? Well, you know, it was typical of McCain and me. I mean, when his campaign manager called me in all oh, the late spring of, uh, 2008, and said, I got a question for you. John wants to vet you for vice president. Are you willing? I said, Are you kidding? Honestly, I was. So I, I meant that. So I, he said, No, I'm not kidding at all. He wants. So I said, Hey, hey, Rick, this is Rick Davis. I said, Rick, you know, I, I know I got elected last time as an independent, but I'm a registered Democrat. How can he do that? He says, Well, he wants to do it. <laughs> Are you willing? I said, Yes. And I, next time I was out with John on the campaign trail, which was about two days later. I had the same conversation with him. I said, John, I'm honored, but I don't know how you can do it. Uh, we're different parties. And he said, he looks at me with that McCain look, serious. He says, hey, Joey, uh, that's the point. You're you're a Democrat. I'm a Republican. We don't agree on everything, but we agree on most things, certainly defense and foreign policy. And he says, I think the country needs a bipartisan ticket. It was kind of amazing. It would have been but, but he ultimately got convinced not to do it, although he wrote in his last book that he wished he hadn't taken the advice. 
but you know who knows it would have been the first time since Abraham Lincoln chose uh, Johnson who was the governor of Tennessee and a Democrat when he ran uh, for president the last time and of course when he got killed Johnson became president yeah, the there problem is the big difference is uh, Johnson was an alcoholic and a racist, and you aren't on either count. Uh, <laughs> That's very kind of you, Brian. Thank and you. It shows, you see, there's probably about 10 people in America who know that about uh, President Johnson, <laughs> that, that President Johnson today. Yes. So, yeah. so Senator, what's your, what's your first take on Harris, and what's going to be her biggest hurdle, judging by if you had a chance, and I know you did, to watch her debate performance and her quest yeah. to be the top spot. What do, you, what do you think about the selection, and what do you think is going to be her biggest challenge? Yeah, so my first reaction is positive, and I'm reacting as somebody who's still a Democrat but sort of hanging on sometimes by my, my tips of my fingers, uh, that in, in the great battle within the Democratic Party between what you might call center-left, it's hard to find somebody who's center-conservative, and, and far-left, that she's more to the center-left. And uh, he had some other choices who were much further out. So I was pleased about that. She's got a good record. I mean, she was attorney general. Uh, and uh, I think she handled it so far. She's, a, she's been in the arena. And um, this is going to be a real uh, tough uh, campaign. In other words, there's going to be no, no holes barred, I would guess. And she's ready for that, which she showed in the primaries. What's the biggest vulnerability? Frankly, she'll probably get it from right and left. I mean, some on the left, although I think they may stifle themselves because they want so much to beat um, uh, Trump. But uh, we'll go back to her record as a prosecutor, in which she was pretty tough. And uh, it's not the kind of stuff that uh, some of the protests uh, today are happy so, with. So let me tell On you the other it, side. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. I, I just yeah. think that I think you're being um, you're very kind to it. I think she's talented. <laughs> obviously, uh, the diversity and the historic nature of the candidacy is definitely yeah. noteworthy. Very attractive and experienced. However, yeah. I was stunned after that opening speech, how little that she she really thought about her policies and beliefs, where she stumbles into saying, get rid of private insurance. She's talked yeah. about, yeah, let's have reparations. She came out and right. re- recently just said, oh, the L.A. cutting, slashing the police budget, that's a great idea. At the same time, she was putting to, into jail parents of truant students because they weren't yeah. showing up in school and putting people for maximum uh, sentences for marijuana use. So to me, you have a, a lot to discuss with political experts. She didn't seem to have any of those conversations going into her candidacy. Yeah, no, listen, this is why I said that the, I, I talked about what the left would go after about, but people who are conservative have all those other things you just talked about. It happens during primaries. I mean, you know, once after I ran for vice president, I ran for president in uh, 2003 and four in the Democratic primaries, and just the party was very different than it was at Bill Clinton's day. And uh, they didn't want a centrist like me. Today, the party in the primaries is really... They don't want you now. Yeah, well, <laughs> they don't. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, that's why I, I always say I'm an independent Democrat, So, which yeah. I am. I, I remember... Uh, whoever, yeah, I support whoever I want to support, really. Right, when they try to kick you out of the party, you said, I'll leave and they'll win anyway, and you did. But I want you to... Right. Just, here's some of the hurdles. Now, we all know, I like the fact that when you go to a debate, you go for the win. You don't say, well, yeah. wait a second, he might ask me or yeah. she might ask me, so I'm going to take my gloves off. But just listen to some of the hurdles that could come back and will. 
Hughes asked about some of Joe Biden's sexual assault accusers. Cut three. Somebody who has a relationship with Vice President Biden, what message would you give to the women who feel like their space has been invaded in the past by the Vice President? I believe them, and I, I respect um, them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. Do you believe that the vice president should enter this race? Oh, I, he's going to have to make that decision for himself. Right. Uh, and also, she originally said she believed one of his accusers, and then she said, well, I, don't, I just don't believe it, as opposed to uh, Justice Kavanaugh, who she obviously believed all the accusations against him. Big problem or small yeah, problem? Yeah, well— I'm sorry, go ahead. Big problem or small problem? Uh, it, it'll be a medium-sized problem. I mean, it's ultimately up to the people, but uh, I, I presume that the uh, Trump campaign is ready to, to bring up all those tapes, and uh, she'll have to explain it and put it in context. I think for today, and I've been through this day, you know, somebody told me when I got nominated that it's great to run for vice president, but really you got to understand there's only three moments when you really matter um, unless you screw up, but the, the three moments are the announcement day, which is today, and the accept, acceptance speech at the convention, and the debate. And uh, right now she looks fresh. She's a different generation, obviously, from uh, Joe Biden, so she puts it together. But uh, she's, as I said earlier, she's in the arena now in what's going to be a real no-holds-barred campaign. So I think this stuff will be a problem, and she'll have to figure out how to handle it and uh, not seem like she's changing where she was, but in some sense uh, say, okay, that's that's, that's it, but let's talk about what really matters and then go on uh, to the issues that she and – she and Biden want to run on, but so, that's, that's the, there'll be challenges because she, she's got a record. Senator, who do you want to see win? <laughs> What's well, a tough one? Look, I agree with a lot of what President Trump has done, uh, be, particularly on foreign and defense policy. Really, uh, particularly Iran, the whole Middle East, China, et cetera. Um, but you know, I, I know Biden for a long time. I like him, so I'm, I'm sort of inclined in his direction. Really, how much is left uh, in Joe Biden? Pardon? How much is that Joe Biden that we see, the one that you know, because he doesn't seem to have uh, yeah, his fastball or he's sinker. Right. Yeah, we're about, we're about the same age, so maybe I think he's in great shape, like I am. You know, uh, but uh, um, I, I think he's he, he's a very decent guy. I, I've been through a lot with him personally. Uh, also, I've watched him. You know, he'll get wrapped as uh, as Kamala Harris did during the primaries because he he wanted to get things done in the Senate. So he worked with some of the uh, Southern senators who were power brokers and who, uh, at different times of their life, uh, were segregationists. Not, of course, after things changed in the '60s and afterward. But um, so I, I I think he's there, and she's a good next generation compliment to him. But uh, this this thing, he's ahead now. If it was held today, the election, he'd win. But um, it, it's going to change before between now and Election Day. He is uh, Joe Lieberman. It's always an education talking to you, Senator. Thanks so much for your uh, fair and balanced view. Thanks, Brian. God bless you. Take care. Uh, back at you. one 408 I'll take your calls and be back here uh, in just a moment. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of that, that Obama coalition. I come out of the black community in terms of my support. If you notice, I have more people supporting me in the black community that have announced for me because they know me. They know who I am. Three former chairs of the Black Caucus, the only African-American woman that ever been elected to the United States Senate, a whole range of people. No, my point no, is, that's not true. The other that's one is true. here. <laughs> <laughs> I said the first. Yeah, and of course she's sitting right there when she says the only African American woman in the U.S. Senate. Uh, there is Kamala Harris and, the, and Joe Biden, totally unaware that she's sitting there. But they both became afterthoughts in this debate process and the primary push because Joe Biden was falling on his face and Kamala Harris, with all her Hollywood support and all the money, her campaign was coming apart from the inside out and she did not think through almost any of the major policies and contradictions in what she's saying and what she's done. Richard, listening in Montreal. Richard, your perspective from the North? Yeah. Hi, Brian. Um, I remember on CNN, the uh Kamala Harris saying that she would consider allowing the Boston bomber to vote from prison. Like, why would anybody vote for a, for someone who would consider wanting someone like that who murdered three and killed two and injured 260 people? But, it's, Richard, here's why. She's winging it. She has to pre-think it. If you and I just decided tomorrow to run for president, we might make a few mistakes, as in right away. But she all of a sudden, she goes, I will get rid of all private insurance. Every uh, illegal, uh, illegal immigrant will get health care. Really? Okay. How's that going to go? Uh, we're going to allow border crossings to not be criminal behavior. Okay, so you can come here for free? Can you say everyone's leaving Central America that day with backpacks marching here? She never thought about anything. Ed, listen to WIBX in New York. Ed. Yeah, hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Real quick. Uh, I, I think that I think the end game with the Democrats here, with the mail-in voting, it's just like Obamacare. They knew it wasn't going to work. It was... It, it, the plan was that it wasn't going to work. Then the next step was going to be socialized medicine. But in this case, I think that they they want to just plunge the electoral uh, system into chaos. And then I hope that's not the case uh, because that's where we got to push back on this. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. She put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. 
Tulsi Gabbard took apart Kamala Harris. She was unable to defend her own record. They weren't talking about issues and saying, this is my side, here's your side. Saying, you did this, you did that. What about this? And she said, well, you know, just some lawmaker trying to, just some Congress girl, a woman who's not a non, uh, non-contender. What do I worry about that for? She never would recover, and she would drop out before Iowa with a ton of money uh, in the bank. People should know. Uh, I think it's a great point that she was thoroughly rejected uh, by her own party. And I'm not saying she's not talented. I, I, I like the fact that it's historic. But I don't love the fact, if I was her, that the reason I'm picked is because the pre, the v- former vice president said, I have to pick a woman. Okay, there goes 50% of the country. And then i got to pick a woman of color. There goes down to five because it's Democrats in contention with somewhat close to the enough experience. And then it was really between her and Susan Rice, I understand, and Tammy Duckworth uh, had, an, had a push at the end. But in the end, it is uh, it is her. So Kamala Harris and maybe those hundred people, hundred uh, African American males, many of which are impactful from Hollywood and uh, sports, maybe them writing saying you have to Joe Biden pick a uh, a woman of color or else risk losing the black vote, which many stayed home for Hillary Clinton, and that happens again, or Donald Trump gets it, uh, they don't win. Here is Kamala Harris, the the, the presumed. Vice presidential nomination, saying it all should go well at the convention. Here she's talking about what she's doing with with the Second Amendment. Cut nine. Do you believe in the mandatory buyback of quote unquote assault weapons? I do believe that we need to do buybacks, and I'll tell you why. They are weapons of war, with no place on the streets of a civil society. Right, except for the Second Amendment, and such a slang term for gun owners, it could mean everything in your arsenal. So she talked about that. She talked about health care. And then she talks about what she wanted to do with health care. At one point, she said, get rid of all private insurance. Cut 10. You support giving universal health care, Medicare for all, to people who are in this country illegally? Let me just be very clear about this. I am opposed to any policy that would deny in our country any human being from access to public safety, Public education or public health, period. Okay, they go to school for free because their parents got here illegally for free. Uh, then they get health care. Right now, the, the emergency room doesn't turn anybody down. And she went on to say that put her hand up when asked, would you give illegal immigrants health care? Uh, her hand went up. Do you notice those questions that were detrimental to getting any moderate or independent vote never came out again? Because it was so embarrassing and impossible to defend to the average American who aren't leftists or go on Stephen Colbert's show. Here's the president last night on Kamala Harris. Cut one. A lot of people think it's a dangerous choice. I think, you know, she's the most liberal person supposedly in the Senate. That's pretty liberal, but she's supposed to be the most. I'm not sure that's what the country wants to see wants to raise taxes. She wants to get rid of your Second Amendment. She wants to cut the military. She wants to cut spending for the military and the vets. And, uh, you know, I don't quite get the choice, but we'll have it out. We have a great vice president named Mike Pence, and he will take care of business just like uh, he did the last time against a different candidate. Well, we'll see. I tell you what, Mike Pence will be prepared. I know that for sure. And you know exactly where he stands. I don't know what Kamala Harris's stance. Does she going to want to be way left like the those rioters and what they stand for in Chicago, in Seattle and in Portland? The New York Times says 
Uh, progressive Democrats are now led by two moderates. Really? I'm looking around. I don't see any moderates. I see people that are going to be compliant to the left wing of their party. Ed Rollins joins us now, GOP political consultant, runs a super PAC, a pro-Trump super PAC, uh, where he is co-chairman of the uh, the Donald Trump super PAC, Great America. Hey, Ed, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. Impact of Kamala Harris. Uh, you know, the critical thing is for, for Biden is he has to basically reinvigorate the Obama coalition, uh, uh, which obviously a significant number of African-American voters didn't vote last time. Uh, she may be very helpful in that area. She's she's smart. She's tough. She's uh, extremely articulate. Uh, uh, you know, so my sense is, uh, you know, what, what you may be looking at if you don't stop this this Biden race is, you know, she could be a future president. Uh, and so I think you got to really examine her hard. Her record. She's San Francisco liberal, obviously, uh, and she is uh, she's a competitive uh candidate, uh, and I, I would never underestimate her. I think the key thing here is that uh, Biden is the head of the ticket, and they're both moving further and further to the left to, to catch up with their party, which has now moved so far left that uh, it's, it's not recognizable. But you know, Ed, does it play a role with a terrible candidate she was? She was a, she had one moment in one debate, and then she was on every side of every issue, and she had such infighting in her own camp, she collapsed before the first caucus, before the first primary. Doesn't that well, matter? Well, sure, it matters. It mattered, it mattered obviously, in the, in the in the primary process. And this, you know, when you go back and examine this race, this was a very strange race. Nobody did well nobody. until South Carolina. Uh, nobody. I think Joe Biden got clobbered early on, and and uh, when you know the South Carolina was set up to protect Republicans in the past, it turned out the, the large African American vote uh, made Biden and, and Clinton play that key role. So. I think the reality here is it's it's not her campaign. It's his campaign. It's his policies. Uh, uh, can she energize a crowd, uh, uh, particularly African-American women and men, uh, particularly women, which are you know, both 98 to 2 against us? Um, and I think she can do that. So you know, I, I don't underestimate her. I, you know, I, I think the key thing is she does not add – any substance. Right. Uh, she, I mean, she's articulate, but she doesn't. She doesn't have her own independent uh, issues, and she's got to duck on a lot of the stuff that she did on the, on the uh, the criminal stuff. Uh, she was kind of all over the place there, you know, and representing San Francisco as a DA and then as an attorney general in California. Ed, Ed the th- lift. I mean, you look at a record. She just praised the mayor of Los Angeles for cutting back the police budget. At the same time, she's talking about as an attorney general. She had Black Lives Matter. This guy, Hawk Newsom, come out and says less than stellar performance, which he means that she was too tough on African-Americans as attorney general. She's going to have to pick a lane, doesn't she? Yeah, she definitely has to. I mean, again, I, I go back to the point that, that it's the Biden campaign. They'll surround her with pros. Uh, one thing, too many Republicans underestimate the quality of Democrat operatives. There's a lot of very top-notch operatives that have been through a lot of races. So I, I think, from their perspective, um, uh, you know, they get she'll give them what they need at this point in time, which is a, right. a leg up to try and put that Obama coalition together. I don't know whether they can do that or not. I don't know. I don't know a region of the country that she necessarily helps, but certainly, uh, certainly, uh, in, in in energizing a black base, which is going to be their target, uh, uh, she could be very helpful. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: uh, people should realize too. It's it's not well if uh, Trump loses, there'll be uh, four years of Democrats, and then we'll move on. And then we'll try to put Tom Cotton or or Pompeo or Nikki Haley, whoever it is. That's not true. Because if they win the Senate, too, they're going to go throughout the filibuster. You will never see such a dramatic change in American life. I I agree totally. And and the reality is, I said to my 
my wife yesterday, uh, we could be looking at the next 12 years of, of presidencies if we don't stop them this time. I 100% agree. Uh, a couple of things. If you want to know where the party's going, it's not Ed Rollins and Brian Kilmeade speculating. They're actually using their inside voice outside. This was on The Daily Show. This is Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. She's out of Washington. Listen to what she says about Biden. Cut 15. And I will be pushing him. I will, you know, as soon as we get him in the White House and even before um, with these task forces that we had, we were able to significantly push Joe Biden to do things that he hadn't signed on to before. So he is movable. He is listening. It's movable. Yeah. They're going to push him right out of the way. Well, my, my sense is this is not the Joe Biden of 20 years ago, obviously. And, and I think the reality is it's not the Democratic Party of 20 years ago. And I think what we're going to be shocked by if they do get in here is how far left they really will go. Uh, and particularly in this time of economic crisis. Can you imagine Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden? And now Kamala Harris uh, putting a, a fiscal plan together that starts with a 35 percent corporate tax, uh, raise a tax on everybody, uh, adjust all the criminal justice, uh, the kinds of judges she'll appoint, the kind of uh, – and she'll certainly play a big role in that. And you can go back and look at the kinds of people that she was involved in in California, which is the attorney general. They'll be so far to the left you won't be able to see straight. So my sense is this is – we have to take them very seriously. Uh, this is a very competitive race. Uh, it's going to get closed. It's not competitive today, but it will close up in the next several weeks, uh, and, and hopefully by September we're going to have a real race here. But uh, you know, the bottom line is don't underestimate her. She's and, and 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 Vice President Pence is such a gentleman. I'm not sure she, he'll take her apart the way he needs to take her apart uh, in the debate. Cause, uh, she she is formidable on that on that ground, even though she wasn't so much in the presidential race. Well, you should sit down with Mike Pence and tell him not to be so nice. You're good at not being nice, uh, Ed. So we, <laughs> we got to bring that side. We got to bring some of that out of Mike Pence. Now, a couple of things. Well, we I, do because I mean I, the bottom line is is, is I, I don't worry about Biden being in the future. I worry about her being in the future. Uh, so that's that's Ed, that's, that's the issue we have to make. Uh, about three weeks ago, we spoke off the air and on the air, and you were really concerned about the direction of the Trump campaign, and uh, Brad Parscale's been pushed back, and still you said, I want to see some change. I talked to two people Friday night who are also expressed the same concern on the same day you did, and I said, where was the campaign we spoke? Four out of ten. Both of them said four out of ten, separate uh, text messages. I go, where is it now? They said eight or nine. And how do you I'm, feel? I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased. I think I think Bill has done a great job of Stepping. stabilizing this campaign. Uh, the ads are better, uh, you know, and, and I think the reality is there's, there's plenty of issues to go after these guys on, uh, and and you know with the new team, uh, and, and that's what it has to be. It has to be, and and I and I think the reality is that the president himself, has, you know, this re-elections are different than elections. Uh, you know, it was an open seat last time. Uh, two unpopular candidates at the end of the day. Uh, President Trump uh, won it by by being, being a new voice. This time it's about him. So he has to strengthen his own record. He has to articulate what it is he's about. And then he's got to continue to remind people what, what, what the Democrats will do to this country if they get elected. And, and the one thing you can do, what would you do with what's happening in the cities? It's horrific. The one I'm in right now, New York, Chicago, Portland, Seattle. So look at that. You know that he's already offered helping, put help in Seattle, and he became and they became the problem uh, in their eyes. So we pulled him out. Now Seattle is uh, Portland is killing itself. Seattle just uh, got rid of their police chief, and Trump cannot be blamed for this. But do you look at this as happening on his watch, or do you say this is what happens 
if Biden takes over because there's not widespread condemnation of the violence and the rioting that we're seeing. How does this play in the public psyche? I, I think it plays certainly to the, to the president's advantage. Uh, and I would basically, uh, you know, you have this DA in, in, in Seattle now and, and, and uh, basically saying he's not going to, you know, going to let everybody out of jail. And these, these are friendly protests. These are not protests. Uh, protests, you just sitting there on a park and carry signs. You don't break into stores. You don't attack cops. You don't, you don't trash. Uh, and the whole defunding the police departments is just the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. If anything, as we, as a, as also as a New Yorker, we need to basically accelerate our police force. Uh, uh, and this stuff cannot be tolerated. Uh, the judicial system is breaking down to where, uh, you know, you, you can't keep these people in prison once you've arrested them. And I think those are issues we need to talk about and the president needs to talk about. Uh, and if he needs to put the National Guard in these places to straighten them out, uh, feel free. Interesting, because you have a person on the ticket now who's praising those who said to fund the police in Los Angeles. This is how bad it's got in L.A. I'm not if you're sure if you're cognizant, but the, the president of the LAPD was told, go into these Hollywood Hills and shut the water off on these parties that is taking place there. They're ignoring all the mandates. And the LAPD turned around and said, you do it with some of your peace officers. We're not going. I mean, do you believe this is happening? Well, unfortunately, I, I grew up the same place uh, uh, Mrs. Harris did. I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, uh, many, many years ago. And, and I, I'm appalled at what's happened in my home state. Uh, California is not the place that I grew up with. Uh, it's, it's a place that it's, it's becoming lawless uh, and unmanageable. And I think to a certain extent, uh, it's, it's sort of the, the, the blueprint for, for Democrat politics. Uh, sanctuary cities, uh, of which she was obviously a part of, uh, you know, it just it's 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 wide open uh, lawlessness, and uh, you know they they've spoken they smoke too much weed or too much something because it's a it's a different different state uh, than I grew up with, and, and I think to a certain extent it's a different state in the country. Well, if you want to lose most of your money, go there and let them tax all the Ed Rollins fortune. Uh, I would stay out of there. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Ed Rollins doesn't have a fortune, but I'd stay out of there. I'm, I worry about New York too. Oh my goodness! I, no, no kidding. This place is a, is a mess. I cannot believe how people are leaving. Uh, Ed Rollins, he is, his super PAC is Great America. I'm feeling a lot better about the Trump uh, the Trump campaign than he was last time he was with us. Just gave me some great assessment on what Kamala Harris brings to the table. Ed, thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. And follow him at Ed Rollins on Twitter. one 408 7669 I'm going to get back and get to as many calls as possible. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. What I would ask you to understand is this. It's not professional sports. I have that exact attitude when it comes to professional sports because they have representation. You collectively bargain. You come to an accord. You move full steam ahead. The problem is on collegiate sports, the student athlete has no representation. And you have to remember, they've been in pursuit of that. And so the NCAA has doggedly gone about the business of holding on to quote-unquote amateur status. And he believes that played into the fact that the Pac-12 and Big Ten have decided not to play. 
And if they go ahead and are forced to play, they're going to look for representation should somebody get sick. Stephen A. Smith is respected a sports voice as there is in the country. He joined us at an earlier hour on the Wednesday edition of the show. That really struck me. I wasn't thinking that deep. When Trevor Lawrence comes out, quarterback uh, Clemson comes out and, and – uh, uh, and says, listen, the, the players want a voice. We want to play. The SEC is going to play. I think we're going to have a semblance of a fall schedule. I hope so anyway. I think Nebraska wants to play uh, too. I know LSU is practicing. They have not let up. Frank, listen on WABC over in Astoria, New York. Frank, uh, you're knee-deep in this mess of New York City too, right? Yeah, you better believe it. I'm in the thick of it, and I've been here 50 years. My favorite mayor was John Bliet Lindsay. And I got to tell you, you said something about a $106 million budget cut. You know, it's, uh, I think it's a lot more. I actually uh, do see the New York City Sanitation Commissioner in sandals sometimes or in full uniform. And uh, she spoken to her in police community council meetings, and she says it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, she was a, a, a low-level deputy uh, uh, officer in the sanitation uh, department, yeah, maybe uh, 20 years, 25 years, but now she's the head of the, the, the sanitation department, Catherine Garcia, and she says it's very bad, but she's indicated she has to do it because if no one does it, uh, the transit stations, will, in, they won't be accepting waste material yeah. in other states. And the thing is, Frank, let them keep tra- uh, chasing out all the rich, successful people. They're horrible people. They're vilified. And they pay almost uh, 50% of all the taxes. If they leave, uh, there's just nothing but jobs uh, open and nobody to pay them. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Big political day. After all, we finally round out the ticket. It is going to be Kamala Harris as well as Joe Biden competing to get the job from... Donald Trump and Mike Pence. So that is now complete. We're also looking at the change in sports and the constant battle with the coronavirus, as well as to try to get some type of rescue package for people like the PPP people, the small business people that need uh, some bailout. And a lot of these states are flat out bankrupt. They deserve some type of check from the federal government, all of which money we don't have, we don't have or have yet to earn. Uh, and by the way, if you ever want to catch this show, if you ever miss it live, all you have to do is go to iTunes, go to iHeart, BrianKilmeadShow.com, and you'll be able to pick it up. If you ever want to see the show, another reason to download Fox Nation because we're a full television show now. I've got three cameras. The whole place is lit. It's a TV studio as well as a radio studio. So it's pretty cool. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Hopefully we can watch colleges play football. We want to get football in colleges. These are young, strong people. Yes, young, strong people, but they're not playing football almost anywhere. Say it ain't so. Major football conferences, two of the big five, quit the fall. Who's left, what it means, and why I think these sidelines, the sideline of these programs is a huge mistake that all of college sports will pay for. Number two. Public policy is supposed to be taking into consideration not just stopping COVID-19 at all costs, but understanding the impact of people on what you do and what you say. Dr. Scott Atlas weighing in. The coronavirus numbers are dropping in 23 states and overall death rates drop for the first time in a month. Why we need, a, we need to power through and get back to school, teachers and all, uh, through all the positive tests, have a plan for when the kids test positive and have a plan to get them back right after they test negative. Plus, how Mitch McConnell plans on saving the rescue package. 
Number one. You know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. And, right. and now you guys seem to be pals. It was a debate. <laughs> Kamala Harris evidently really pushed back hard when it looked as though she was losing the top spot when Chris Dodd came forward and said, I'm shocked that in their meetings, because he was the head of the vice president's search committee, in the meeting she didn't apologize for that moment. I don't think she should have, but she has the number one job because she campaigned to get it. What Senator Kamala Harris brings to the table? What about her record, her disastrous quest for the top spot herself, and how Tulsi Gabbard took her down? And let's get started. Now, keep in mind, too, we're waiting for the first joint appearance from Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. No sense if they will, in fact, take any questions. You know, we know they're going to appear. They're going to do everything right because they want to show that Donald Trump is slipshod. It's not taking the coronavirus seriously. They're both going to walk out in mass. They're both going to keep six feet away from each other. They're not going to be a big crowd. The, we know that the media, which will be there, will be spread out. There's probably not going to be any applause because the media will be asked not to do something their instincts will tell them they should do. Applaud for the ticket they're pulling for. And it's going to be unlike any announcement ever. Usually you get a big bump if you pick the right person for the right ticket. Uh, you get a bump, but I don't know about now. And then you have a convention coming up, but there's not going to be any audience there. Are they going to have some big speakers? Yeah. John Kasich, congratulations. You have the governor of Ohio, who's a Republican, just doesn't like Trump. Well, that'll be a lot of momentum. Uh, Barack Obama will show, give a good speech, Michelle Obama, but there's not going to be any applause. So you're going to have to judge on your own if you like it or not. With me right now is Michael Goodwin, New York New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, and you know him from his great columns and insightful commentary. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Harris, one to ten, ten being a home run. What would you call it underwhelming? What would would uh, one to ten? Where do you rank her? I give her a six, uh, meaning that uh, I think there are some clear positives for the campaign. But I think uh, there are also negatives uh, that she could cut both ways. But uh, so I, I think a six is a, is a fair one to ten characterization. Do you, I mean, would people have a short-term memory loss? She was a hideous candidate. Yes. Yes. And she did not poll well among African-American voters either. Uh, and don't forget, she supported Medicare for all, which Biden didn't. Now, look, these things have happened before uh, in campaigns uh, where, the, you know, it, it all becomes about the president versus and the, the vice president nominee folds into the president's campaign. But this is a different situation because of Biden's health. Uh, and the recognition even among Democrats that if elected, he probably would not finish a first term. So the vice president's pick, the vice presidential pick becomes more important than normal. And I think that's why Harris is going to get a lot more scrutiny than the VP normally would, particularly if Biden is going to continue to hide because of his age. I mean, you know, Brian, we're getting so close to the election now. This idea that Biden has to be protected because of his health and age from the COVID. Well, how is he going to be president? You can't sit alone in a room all day as <laughs> I president. Know. Um, you know, so it begins to say, 
wait a minute. And just as you're talking about with the football, you know, are we ever going to try to move forward? Well, is Biden ever going to come out of the basement? I mean, is, is he going to be president from the basement if he's elected? It doesn't work that way. So I think in the meantime, Harris is going to become the face of the campaign, the energy of the campaign, the the, the left-wing media is going to embrace her and protect her uh, because she is uh, going to be the, the hopes uh, will ride on it. But I, as I say, I give her a six because I think that there are a lot of downsides to her. As we were saying, she was not a good campaigner. Uh, she was uh, taken apart by Tulsi Gabbard and also ran, uh, and she just faded. It's not like anybody was clamoring no. for more Kamala. Uh, she faded and was not missed. I mean, as I compare to Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, who pretty much stayed until the end and who got better and who became more popular and and more respected for their campaigns, whereas Harris was forgotten once she was gone. So th- there are clear risks with this pick, uh, but it. I think Biden boxed himself in. It had to be a woman because of the Me Too movement. It had to be a black woman because of his uh, success in South Carolina. He owed that to the black South Carolina voters and because of the Black Lives Matter movement. So he boxed himself in. It was either Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, Susan Rice or Karen Bass. I mean, those seem to be the four picks he had. Of the, of the four, I think Harris was probably the best, most qualified, most energetic, probably the most successful uh, in her own field, in her own right. Uh, but that doesn't mean in the whole world she's a great pick. And uh, as I say, the Medicare for all, uh, other issues in her background, I mean, she's a prosecutor. How is that going to set sit with uh, the far left? Well, I mean, she's uh, a prosecutor so I, that said, I support the mayor defunding the police. I am for not criminalizing border crossings. I'm for giving illegals uh, free health care. Uh, I, I mean, it's, she, she goes against herself. So she didn't even decide what self she's going to be, the one that maybe the most people on the Democratic side liked or the one she actually was. She had no pre-thought to her own background. So when she sat down with, a, with a, an interviewer, she, it was a carnival of contradictions. Right. And, and, and I think that's one reason why she didn't do well. But, I mean, it, it's also true of all Democrats that they are remaking themselves on the fly because of this push from the AOCs and then the Black Lives Matter and, and before that, the Me Too movement. I mean, there are a lot of cross currents sweeping through the Democratic Party. Look at Biden, how much he's had to remake himself. I mean, the so-called pragmatic moderate has turned out to be neither. Uh, he's become, you know, just sort of a little more moderate than Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. But by the same token, he's outsourced a lot of his policies to them. The Green New Deal is now effectively his policy. Uh, AOC is is one of his new surrogates uh, for all of this. So, you know, I think you have a real mashup in the Democratic Party of instincts and personalities and philosophies, uh, and it hasn't settled itself out yet to where you can say this is what the Democratic Party stands for. This is what Joe Biden stands for. This is what the platform is. 
We don't really right. know. It's all being remade on the fly. I, we talked enough about her, and uh, and I want to get your take on Trump because you you get to interview him pretty regularly, and you get a good sense of where he's at. I just talked to Ed Rollins, who was so down three weeks ago, he was almost sounded like he wanted to give up. But Brad Parscale, they pushed him back. They pushed up Bill Stepien. And this is the third major Trump official that I've talked to who now gives him an 8 or 9 out of 10 that he's hitting his stride. And one thing he did that's being underscored because it's not being played up in the media, those executive orders over the weekend really made him look strong and made like Congress look small. Do you agree? Well, I I think what they did effectively, uh, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with strong versus weak, but I think what they did was create another area of contrast. Um, And and I think that is to the president's, I want to help the workers. I want to help people get over the COVID. I want to give them more money to put in their pocket. And the Democrats are saying, no, 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 not this money, not that way. Uh, And so their failure to come to come to the table, I think, was a strategic mistake because the Democrats thought they had Trump over a barrel. We can keep raising the cost. We can we can we can force on him the bailout of the blue states. And he said, no, here's my response. I'm going to target it much more with 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 uh, executive orders. Now, we'll see if they get challenged in court. But nonetheless, politically, I think the president set up a great contrast. Uh, between compassion and and uh, obstinance. That's the way I would put it. Interesting. Uh, so we have that situation, which I think it does gives him leverage to get a rescue package going. And Mitch McConnell, who was missing in action intentionally, said this yesterday. Uh, cut 28. The American people are sick of the stalemate. They want to get a result. And the result ought to be directly related to the COVID-19 crisis. Kids back in school, jobs, health care, direct cash payments to low-income people who need our help. Those items should not be in dispute. And this hang-up over sending almost a trillion dollars down to state and local government, take that off the table and let's get this assistance directly to the people who need it. Do you project they're going to end up talking? This is already... You know, we're halfway through the week already. No, there's been no serious talks. What do you think? Um, I think I think the Democrats are going to have to make another run at talking. Uh, I think they can't just refuse to negotiate. And uh, it sounds to me as if both McConnell and Trump are drawing the line on the bailout of the blue states. Now, there might be some fudge room in there where they can direct money for specific things. But, you know, Brian, we're seeing it in New York. New York City and New York State have not laid off a single person, not furloughed a single person, even though we know most of those people are not working. They are not in their offices. The schools are not going back, it looks like, for the most part. Uh, and and so this idea that uh, you're going to bail out these states that were already running huge deficits uh, while they are not doing anything to cut their own costs, uh, I mean, it's one thing to say that we're going to help fund the COVID costs, which the federal government should and is doing through the health care systems. But it's quite another when the states uh, are not doing anything to trim their own overhead 
in, in this excruciating time. I mean, taxpayers are taxpayers are doing the Whoa, less. you wait a Government second, Michael. You forgot you forgot New York took a billion dollars out of the police budget. Utah, you forgot they took over a hundred million dollars out of the sanitation budget. So right. uh, they're cutting but, but down they things on but, quality but, of life. Yes, but they didn't cut their spending. They just shifted the money to other to the pet projects. Essentially, it's to the unions. All of this money is going to municipal unions in one form or another. They're going on. I mean, De Blasio, the mayor, was giving raises and promotions to people on his own staff. Meanwhile, you keep asking the federal government to bail them out. Uh, it's not going to happen. It should not happen until the blue states get some control over their own spending. Michael, thanks so much. New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, Michael Goodwin. Great job. My pleasure, Brian. Thank All you. Right. When we come back, it's your job. one 408 7669 I want to get your take on what's happening right now. I'm also getting a lot of your emails. Go to briankillme.com. You can go to me uh, directly. Also a way to get any of my books. They go right to my local bookstore, and I can personalize them. The last one is Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Politically, she is going to be, for Biden, the, the, the attack machine. She's going to be going after President Trump. And, when, and President Trump's a great counterpuncher, but he ought to remember she's not the target. When she attacks him, he ought to use it as an opportunity to attack Biden. If she goes after the president on an issue, he goes after Biden on that issue uh, because he's the real target. She's just along for the ride. Uh, that is uh, Carl Rove. Uh, make sure, Mr. President, you make your haymakers for Joe Biden. Jeremy, listen on KCRS Midland. Jeremy, Texas. Yes, sir. I was just curious why the Democrats seem to rally around losers so much, like picking Kamala Harris as her. Well, who VP. else would you pick? Who's your pick? Neither. Yeah, that's the problem. Wow. They don't have superstars. <laughs> uh, Julie, listen on FM News Talk 97.1 in St. Louis. Julie. Hey, if I'm Trump, my message is this. Both Harris and Biden have said they would give free health care to illegal immigrants. There are 300 people in Central America, 300 million people in Central America who, if they make it across the border, become our charge. I think the average person knows we just can't afford that as much as we would like to help. And when our ancestors came here, they came here, they had no benefits. They had to make it completely on their own. So there's a big difference from immigration of 100 years ago. And immigration of today. Absolutely. Zero social safety net. It was you go down, for example, to Texas, as I write with Sam Houston, all they got was the promise of potential land. They had to go there and meet. And when they got there, they'd have a rake, a pitchfork. They'd have a horse, maybe a plow. And it's off to your on your own. You build your own shelter. You build your own land. People help each other out. Uh, There was none, none of these. Uh, there was nothing at all. There was no infrastructure. It was a different time, different mindset. Uh, John, listen on WABC in Staten Island. John. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind, John? I think that uh, Ed gave Kamala Harris a little bit too much credit. I think you have to give the credit to the American voter. People aren't stupid. They see Kamala for exactly what she is. She's a liar, and she'll do anything for power, and we all know that. Uh, with that being said, 
you know, all these professionals, they got it wrong the first time with Trump. Everyone was against him. Oh, he'll never be this. He'll never be that. Meanwhile, he's president today. It's the American voter that are decent people and see exactly what these Democrats are trying to do. And they're not stupid. They're going to vote against them. It's going to be Trump 2020. (laughs) There's a lot of hidden Trump votes. I know that for sure. But how much? Right now in the last battleground polls, he trails in Florida by six, in Michigan by five, uh, in Wisconsin by four. He is up in North Carolina and trails just by one in Arizona. All within striking distance, if these polls are indeed correct. It shows a game. We'll see what Harris does for both sides. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. How does that transition happen? How do you go from being such a passionate opponent on such bedrock principles for you, and and now you guys seem to be pals. It was a debate. <laughs> Not everybody landed punches like you did, though. It was <laughs> a debate. <laughs> so you don't mean it. It was a debate that the whole reason, literally, it was a debate. It was called a debate. Everyone I understand. Traveled to the debate. There were journalists there covering the debate where there would be a debate of differences of opinion and issues. Okay. Uh, that was an overlapper, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, who is now going to be running with Joe Biden. Uh, what does that mean? What does it do for the ticket? What does it do for the race? Going in, Donald Trump, by according to some of the other polls, uh, neck and neck in North Carolina and Arizona, trailing by four or five, Florida, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, depending on where you're looking, or Wisconsin. But all within striking distance. We've been down this road before. Chris Starwaltz, a political editor for Fox News. He got his halftime report, the Fox News halftime report you could subscribe to. Uh, and Chris, were you surprised that it's Harris? No. And it's sort of in keeping for Democrats this year and for Biden, everything is play it safe, right? Yep. Everything is take the most cautious path possible and let the conventional wisdom harden and then go right where the conventional wisdom is pointing. And, you know, I got to say for Biden, the only other person who seemed like maybe he could have picked would have been Tammy Duckworth. But the I, I, I remember, you know, people like, well, it's going to be Susan Rice or it's going to be that. It's like, no, it's going to be a liberal African-American woman. It's going to be Kamala Harris. And it's going to be Kamala Harris because by the time Biden got to the end, if he had not chosen Harris, it would have been a snub. You can't let somebody stay in contention that long. <clears throat> you know, we, we think back to how John Kerry got stuck with John Edwards. They let it sit so long that in the end, Kerry, who rightly thought that John Edwards was scummy, uh, Did you know that? Yeah. I didn't know that he said that. Oh, he resisted. So in the in the in the books that came out after the 2004 election, uh, Kerry did not watch. Nobody watched John Edwards, right? Uh, if you spend ten minutes in the company of John Edwards, you go, "Ew, what?" Uh, and Kerry had the normal human response to John Edwards, but because he couldn't make up his mind swiftly enough on somebody else, uh, got stuck with him. 
because at that point it was like there's so much gravity formed around it. In this case, Biden leaned into it. I don't know how he feels about Harris. I, we saw a lot of reporting that Chris Dodd, his yeah. uh, longtime run, running buddy, uh, had briefed against Harris and was resentful of Harris uh, for the glee, uh, the cackling glee that she uh, showed in uh, roughing up Biden on allegations of uh, racial insensitivity uh, in his support for busing or in his opposition to busing uh, and for uh, him uh, working with uh, segregations, the last of the old time segregationists uh, who were still in the Senate when Biden got there. And her 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 glee in that was offensive to Dodd, an old friend of Biden's. Uh, I don't know how Joe Biden feels about Harris, but man, this is the prepackaged. This is like, what should we it's like how millions of Americans end, end up deciding to have what's for dinner. They say, what do we have? Well, here's the chicken breasts that are right there in the refrigerator. Right. We're cook those up and have that. Exactly. So a couple of things. She has to decide, unlike when she ran for president, she has to decide about her record and what she wants to do and somewhere get the truth. Remember, she was the one who was punishing parents when their kids cut out of school. She was the one giving very harsh sentences for those caught with pot. She's also the one who said, you can come across the border. It's not a crime. And uh, ICE is very similar to the KKK. So uh, and if you want uh, to get rid of private insurance, I'm with you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. She was grossly unprepared for the major issues and to defend her own record. So what is going to change now? Well, I mean, number one, she doesn't have to defend her own record anymore. She has to defend Joe Biden's record. Um, yeah, she the, does. The challenge- what you, they're going to say, to her, what do you stand for? Are you strong on crime or are you weak on crime? How do you feel about those riots in uh, the riots in Chicago? How do you feel about the riots in Portland and Seattle and what's happened to New York? What would you do to change things? Are you for painting your murals or would you like some semblance of order where people don't get shot and children are allowed to play and not duck bullets? I mean, this running, is, these are running, some real running, issues. But but running mates are not for real issues. Uh, running mates are for saying, I agree with whatever he said. Uh, Mike Oops, Pence. There's a problem with that. Well, but that's what Mike Pence. That's what. That's what. Uh, it was. I believe it was Alvin Barkley. I'm not sure. Uh, but when. Oh no, it was uh, John Nance Gardner, uh, who, when Lyndon Johnson reached out to him uh, and said uh, that Kennedy wanted him to be his running mate, that Gardner said that the presidency was not worth a bucket of warm spit, and he did not say spit. That was not the actual word that he used. Uh, the vice presidency is a goofy uh, but necessary thing in American political life. You got to have somebody. Especially See, Chris, I, did, I, I, I respectfully disagree. Look at the, some of the substantial things vice presidents have done in our lifetime. I mean, you have $800 billion was really for Joe Biden's to hand out in the stimulus package. You have Mike Pence is legitimately in charge of whatever you think of the coronavirus, uh, the testing and the care and, and the materials. He's literally in charge of that. I mean, he was in charge. I mean, there, there's legitimate jobs for the, that these guys have been doing. Well, the, the chain, certainly the Cheney model. So Dick Cheney certainly sure. changed the trajectory for vice presidents from uh, back in, in the old days. Uh, and it is true that both Obama and Trump have found blue ribbon jobs and important jobs to give to their vice presidents. What I'm saying is. Kamala Harris's positions on stuff and, and Kamala Harris's vision for the future and Kamala Harris as a individual candidate now will fold up her tent 
and disappear into the shadows of Joe Biden. And she will say when people press her on the very questions that you're talking about, she will re- she will say I she will first reiterate whatever the boilerplate campaign position is. And then she would say, I respect the leadership. Well, how does Pence say the broad shouldered leadership of Donald Trump? She say, I respect the narrow shouldered leadership of Joe Biden or whatever the phrase that she's going to use. And whatever anybody asks her about her. Mm-hmm. She is going to retreat to Biden just like Pence will retreat to Trump. Now, here's the problem with the formula, which is tried and true, which you're going after. Joe Biden hasn't answered really tough questions yet. He has not no. hashed out these issues yet. And I'll bring you to a soundbite from a show you don't watch, The Daily Show, which uh, I think this guy is is so overrated. It used to matter. Even when Jon Stewart was ripping this network, and me specifically, you, could, you cannot uh, reduce his impact or his wit and his knowledge. No, and could be really funny. No yeah. question. No question. Not now. So here's Congresswoman, and I always screw up her name, Pramila Jayapal. She is on the Democrat from Washington on The Daily Show Monday, Cut 15. And I will be pushing him. I will, you know, as soon as we get him in the White House and even before um, with these task forces that we had, we were able to significantly push Joe Biden to do things that he hadn't signed on to before. So he is movable. He is listening. Uh, they weren't saying that about Donald Trump and George Bush, and they weren't saying that against Barack, about Barack Obama. Uh, I think about Trump and Bush. I, I think conservatives in both cases had success with both Trump and Bush. Trump, Trump became more conservative over the course of his 2016. By the time he ends up in Gettysburg and talking about the judges and talking about the tax cuts and talking about these bread and butter core Republican issues, it was a it was a departure from where he started. So I do think parties move nominees uh, and nominees. Remember, people only dislike a flip flopper when they're flopping away from you. They love it. When when you flop in their direction, you have new wisdom. You have great new wisdom. Um, I think Biden, if he wins, Biden is going to get you remember the Nazis in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when they open the ark and their faces all melt. That will be what the what the Democratic left and that that will be what the progressive left and the democratic socialists will look like when Bi- when Biden is like, "Hey, I don't know that you remember me. I'm kind of a corporate sellout guy from Delaware." <laughs> and here's and when he names Mitt Romney to his cabinet or whatever thing that he does if he wins that will shock these people. They will hate him and turn on him. There there is no love for these people with Joe Biden now, but they've made a deal. They'll be quiet in exchange for what they are promised will be a transformational blah, 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 blah. There ain't nothing transformational about Joe Biden, and there ain't nothing transformational about Kamala Harris, because you know what she is? She's the same as Biden. She wants to tell you what you want to hear. She is a politician, and she wants to tell you what you want to hear. See, Chris, I will put a lot of money, and Eric has a lot of money, and he'll lend it to me for a high interest rate. Eric works the board. Huge interest. Huge interest. I will bet you a lot of money that if Joe Biden's president, he will not be getting tough questions. It'll be Barack Obama redux. True, true. From the press, look, Joe Biden, the, the questions will get harder. If Biden wins, the questions will get harder because there will be so much anger on the Democratic left. I will intensify. They will be dissat. They, they are dissatisfied with Joe Biden now. And then if he wins, they'll be really dissatisfied because they'll say, how come, right? How come you didn't do this? And he can, he'll, he'll find him. I think where... Biden finds himself is very much where I mentioned LBJ earlier. Biden finds himself very much where LBJ was uh, in 1964, right? He's, he's, he's on track for a win. 
Democrats are with him. They're going. But, man, as soon as he gets in office, these issues are tough. They're troublesome. And Democrats are deeply divided on what to do. And governing is would be really hard for Joe Biden. That there is no that is going to be no walk in the park. And by the way, if you have a running, if you have a vice president who is setting themselves up to run you know, four years hence, you're going to start with a, di- a divided administration, and that's never a good place to be. All right, Chris Starwalt, um, I Last question. I am, I'm very upset that uh, two major conferences have decided not to play college football. Who's right? The ones that are playing, the ones that are not. I, you know what, I, uh, I'm a Big 12 fan. I'm a Mountaineers fan, and the report today is that the Big 12 is going to try to play. I here, here's my prediction: all of this will look different by Thanksgiving, right? All figuring this out, and and you watch what Major League Baseball has gone through. You've watched what the, you know, the hockey's been pretty successful. Uh, basketball's been pretty successful. This is hard, and figuring it out is hard. So I think there's going to be a lot of slippage here. I just think it's unfortunate if it becomes a political kind of issue. These these schools ought to do what they think they should for their kids and, and, and let it stand. It do, I don't think it's a good versus evil or right versus wrong thing. I think people I think reasonable people can disagree about how to proceed. Uh, yeah, I these these people should be playing. Chris, uh, Stephen A. Smith brought, brought up something that he believes that if the, they play, it'll give the players too much power in the future. Uh, and they don't. The NCAA does not want to empower the player, which I think would be. Oh. Uh, I think that would be troublesome if that's the truth. Uh, Chris, let's hope we get a degree of college football. (laughs) If the MLS can do it, college football can do it. I, well, I, 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 I got to believe that that's that sports broadcasting majors and uh, uh, exercise physiology are still out there. They're still out there for them. Fantastic. Chris Dyerwell. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. Uh, when we come back, your phone calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We're talking about uh, sports and what we found out already from uh, the Big Ten, uh, and we do, do find some good news from the SEC. It looks like they're going to try to play. I think we should be doing that. We'll discuss that uh, as well as this number two pick uh, for Joe Biden, as well as what is happening with the coronavirus. Uh, back to school. It turns out Sanjay Gupta, the doctor at CNN, will not send his kids back to school because Wolf Blitzer told him not to. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Now, Aaron, that little girl you just introduced, that little girl was me. I'm also America's cool aunt. A fun aunt. I call that a funt. Ah, that's a good one, Liz. It sounds like you're in a good mood tonight, Senator Harris. Oh, I am. The font is back, baby. <laughs> America's fun aunt. I'm also America's cool aunt. The cu- You know what? <laughs> Let's not do that. Tonight, I'm not going to worry about the polling numbers. I'm just going to have fun and see if I can get some viral moments. Mama needs a gif. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> that was Maya Rudolph. She's got to be thrilled that Kamala Harris is uh, Joe Biden's pick. They're going to meet sometime uh, today. They're going to make a, an appearance together. They'll be six feet apart. They'll wear masks. Uh, and there'll be very little electricity, I imagine. I don't know. Uh, and then Joe Biden will go back inside, and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden will do a lot of the campaigning. Um, here is what we're learning now about the football season. We know about the Big 12 is now out. Uh, this. SEC commissioner on the fate of the season. This just tweeted out. 
uh, by Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. I look forward to learning more about the factors that led the Big Ten and Pac-12 leadership to take these actions. I remain comfortable with the thorough and deliberate approach with the SEC and our 14 members are taking to support a healthy environment for student-athletes. And one of the things that came up with Jack Brewer this morning, former NFL player and late bloomer in college, was he thinks politics is playing a role in this. Canceling the season is a big mistake. Cut 35. I think you have a lot of uh, liberal uh, presidents uh, and chancellors at these universities uh, who are making these calls. And I think that they'll do whatever they can to to go against uh, the president. Wow. I was stunned by that. And also these stats. Keep in mind what football is. The most physical sport in America, maybe outside uh, world rules, uh, Australian rules football in the world. Cut 36. Since 2000, there's been uh, over 35 players in the NCAA that have died playing football. Uh, When you look across the board, the NFL, the NCAA, not a single player has been hospitalized. Not a single player has died from the coronavirus. Uh, But yet, you know, you look across the nation, over 800,000 kids uh, are sent to the hospital and emergency rooms every year uh, due to sports injuries. Yeah. I mean, what are you worried about? I just think also if you're going to be going to school, even at a hybrid level, you have the teams go in. It's not a bad scene or a showing or optics to have football be treated with special, in special ways, special cafeterias, special dorms in an extremely unique year. They're used to it. You talk to these people, especially in the Northeast where I am, who are going to Auburn and Alabama and North Carolina. That's where they're going. They're going to be part of the mania, which is Division I sports. They expect the players to get special treatment. The players want to hang out together. The coaches want these players to act mature. This will be a test. Here's uh, LSU's head coach, uh, Coach O, cut 39. I do believe that we have the best protocol for our players. Our players feel safe on campus. We only have a few players that are sick right now. They get the best care. Our players want to play. I do believe the SEC wants to play. I have to give it to our commissioner for waiting to get the most information and to make the correct decision for our football team, and I do believe he will make that. I do too, Uh, and and I hope that they play. And then they'll just put it all together. They will decide on maybe a six- to seven-, eight-game season, and they'll do it. And what uh, the LSU coach also went on to say is they expect half the stadium to be full. And if they can keep this thing at bay and they can be smart about it and spread out in the seats, uh, you know, spread out people from families and friends that come together, and you wear masks, that's called adjusting. Eight months in, we're getting it. It's taking us a while. Hey, go to BrianKilme.com, order everything from Sam Houston, Alamo Avengers to the Children's or the Young Readers edition of Thomas Jefferson, the Triple E Pirates, and George Washington's Secret Six. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.